This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome to Mind Your Business on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Lauren Feldman. I used to be the senior editor of entrepreneurship at Forbes. I'm now chief content officer of a growing community of businesses called the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. My assignment for the Oxford Center is to help build a content platform for business owners. We'll uh, we'll talk more about that uh, in the coming weeks as we get a little further along. But uh, for today, we've got a very special show for you with uh, with more guests than usual. We're going to talk uh, a little private equity with a business owner who has twice started businesses and twice taken private equity and twice been tossed out of those businesses by the investors he brought in. And we're going to talk to another entrepreneur who started a business that just took off, exploded. It was every entrepreneur's dream come true until he couldn't come close to meeting the holiday orders he'd promised, and it turned into a uh, bit of a nightmare. And back with me for both of those conversations is one of our frequent guests, Cliff Oxford, founder of the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the show, Cliff. It's good to be back on campus. It's kind of got a magical feel out there today. <laughs> Life is good when you're walking around Penn as a sophomore, junior, senior. That's true. That's true. I could almost remember what it was like uh, 130 years ago. Um, so uh, you've been uh, you've been very busy lately with the Oxford Center uh, for Entrepreneurs. You've been uh, helping a lot of people buy and sell companies, haven't you? Yeah, well, you know, we got two LOIs this week. That's a good week. Two LOIs this week. And That's a, a letter of intent. Yeah, in, thank you. Intending to buy, buy one the of the company. Bu- yes. What's the market like out there uh, right now? What are you seeing? Almost Heaven. John Denver had a song called Almost Heaven. What was it? Take Me Home, Country Road. It's Almost Heaven. It's just, it's just as hot as it can get. Um, and we are, um, we're loving every minute, minute of it. Uh, what, what do you think is is driving it? Why uh, why is the market so hot? Psychological. It's all you know. Two thousand eight. I remember. I remember specifically having companies with great EBITDA, great cash flow. Show I, I could show them to private equity, and they would go. You know, we're just not buying, and they were turning down great deals. And now, when um, Sonic gets fifteen point eight times EBITDA. That's when life is good. <laughs> yeah, due diligence is easy. Everybody's trying to make the deal happen. They're not. They're, so it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm loving it. That sounds it. like the recipe for disaster. There are going to be a lot of very unhappy people in, uh, in a few years when uh, things start to shake out, is what it sounds like. Of course. Yeah, it's going to crash. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to come down and, you know, it, it, and we'll live through it, and there'll be another upturn. And uh, but uh, yeah, this is what I'm telling business owners. If you're thinking uh, about and selling, if you're thinking about selling, now's the time. And and uh, by the way, I tell people every week that, that they don't have anything to sell. Too, you know, we don't we don't want to take on anybody that has got nothing to sell. But if you ever want to sell, I mean, I was speaking with a really good entrepreneur last week, and he says, "I have come to the realization I'm going to be in this business for 20 years." Because I'm not selling now, so I'm not going to sell. So I'm going to be here, for, you know, for 20 years. Good decision. You know, just good about selling. But uh, otherwise, if you think you're going to sell in the next five, you're out of your mind to be screwing around right now. 
you know, wondering if you should sell or not. But there are a lot of businesses that if, if they haven't thought about selling, they, they don't get their ducks in a row. They're not prepared to sell. I think that's what you were referring to when you said if they don't have anything to sell. You know, yeah, that's one thing. And then something, some, some businesses are just not made to sell. I mean, you better just, you know, a lifestyle business. Oh, boy. I hope Jay's not listening. <laughs> I hope Goltz is not listening. Because they're... But uh, it, you know, are so you like, saying Jay Gold has a lifestyle <laughs> business, Cliff? No, he gets he, upset. The phone's going to ring he, he in thirty seconds if, if even, he's listening. He gets upset if, even if I say that word. It's nothing. Jay's got a big business. He's got a great business, but a lifestyle business, uh, he gets upset because he doesn't have a lifestyle business. No, he doesn't even like me using the word for anybody. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't know why I'm defending Jay here, but I think... Uh, but yeah, you've got a lifestyle business. Nobody can sell that. What's the definition of a lifestyle business, so long as we've gone this far down the road? Well, you know, it's you're not going to be... I would say don't be putting money into investments three years from now, which, like what I've always did, I always poured every money, every penny back into the company going, you know what? I'm driving, you know, a Jeep, but you know, back in the day, but I, I'm putting every. I just put a two hundred thousand dollars this month into the company because I'm gonna make one day forty million dollars, and uh, so you know, that's that's a lifestyle. Let's hey, let's go sit on the yacht at Lake Lanier. You know, uh, all right, we've got a caller on the line. <laughs> Jay, is is that what you're doing? Are you sitting on your yacht? Is that where you're calling from? Yeah, I'm just, I'm actually at my broker trying to figure out what the best investment strategy is for, you know, my my few shekels that I put together in the last few years. You know I love to do nothing more than argue with Cliff, so thank you for the opportunity. Go for it, Jay. Okay, there is something other than big shots like you, go for the moon, sell your soul, just grow, 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 burn people out, you know, have people have heart attacks in the office. And, oh, you have a lifestyle business. What, you have a lemonade stand. There, there actually is something in between those two areas. And I would argue with your contention, people should go sell their business. Have you ever read the statistics of how many people sell their businesses and go into mourning afterward and wish they wouldn't have? Meaning maybe they could get $20 million today and maybe they can only get $12 million in five years, but they actually don't want to sell their business now. Have you heard about any of those statistics? Yeah, I was one of them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but we got the remedy. That's why the Oxford Center exists. Oh, thanks for the beautiful setup, Jay. The Oxford Center exists because, you know, we 80% of people who sold were unhappy one year later, but they uh, we take care of that with a great exit strategy, understanding what you're going to do next. And it's most likely, as I told Mike Dindy, who's standing by, don't think you're going to go work for private equity and everything's going to y'all going to be in this big honeymoon together because those guys are going to fire you in a year. OK, and that's if you're lucky. I generally last three months. But um, that is the that's the whole idea of it is you can you can sell and be happy. And Jay, and be, to be fair to the Oxford Center, we look at it only in the entrepreneurial's perspective, not in investment bankers, lawyers, accountants who I call that. A whole country club of people. That's they got their own little clique. I mean, I told one yesterday to the lawyer, "You're not running this deal because all you're going to want to do is bill hours. I'm running the deal. I'm negotiating the deal. You do the paperwork. I do the deal. Simple." But you do accept and validate. First of all, there is something other than someone with a tiny business that there are people with successful businesses that probably shouldn't sell their business because they actually like. 
going to work every day and they want to run their business, and it might be a $10 million business, but but just because they could get a lot of money for it doesn't mean that they should sell their business. Let it rip. I tell people, go out there and go for it. And if you go for it and you hit the home run, get out. It's no grow exit. No grow exit. I went to a seminar. I have to tell you the most poignant (laughs) thing I've ever heard. I went to a seminar. This guy was speaking, and he had a very successful private equity company. Very successful. Big big money. He took in... He took in a partner, a big company, and the end of the story is they ended up throwing him out. He actually said the phrase, which when people say this, I cringe. He said, I got depressed after I sold it. It was like losing a child. And I wanted to say to him, I hope there's no one in this room that's lost a child, because that oh, phrase is so revolting mm. to me that somebody would suggest that, lo- that selling your business for millions of dollars is like losing a child. Oh. But that's what this intelligent person said. But that's just how profoundly he was depressed. And I was at a seminar, the guy says 80-something percent of people are miserable, and, and my thing is, and the other 15 percent, they're dead. So maybe everyone's miserable. Yeah, you know, know. It's, it, is, um, <laughs> it is a miserable feeling when you're not prepared. And, you know, and what you do is, like myself, make a lot of mistakes. You get you know you go get try to be a VC. Oh, I was a very bad VC. VC. Then you go do shit. You get excuse my language. You go do wrong things. And uh, good thing this is serious, Cliff. This is uh, yeah. I'm taking up Howard Stern here. We we don't have a seven (laughs) second delay, you know. (laughs) But uh, you go. So you make mistakes too. Not only are you depressed, but you make mistakes. And that's what we're in business to do. Like, uh, in in fact, what we got coming up here is Mike Dendy. you know, it's he had a, he built a great brand, and he sold uh, some of it to private equity, and then they do all their tricks. Well, the reason I love Cliff is Cliff's been in the real world. He's not just a money changer. He's not just a, he's not he hit, he's actually owned a business, sold a business, and he'll actually give people the honest scoop. Once he gets past his lifestyle business. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Jay. Jay, thank you for calling in from your yacht. We do appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be listening for the rest of the time. Just, yeah. I just want you to know. Be I, 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 I hope you sell a lot of lemonade while, uh, while the show's on. Uh, yeah, yeah. And okay. we'll, uh, we'll be, have you back on. We'll be talking to you again soon. But Very thanks for good. calling. Thanks. Nice talking to you. Guys. That was Jay Goltz, a frequent guest on this show. Uh, we've, in fact, had him on before debating Cliff, and uh, we, we may have to do that again. It it's is always uh, fun. It is always fun. Uh, if you have a question about your business, um, if you have a question for Cliff or about the business that you're running, uh, or for our next guest who I'm about to introduce, please give us a call. We're at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 942-7866. As Cliff just suggested, we're going to talk about private equity and what can happen when you decide to take it in your business. Uh, to help us with that conversation, please let me introduce Mike Dendy. Um, he's a really nice guy who's had a couple of really interesting experiences uh, with private equity. Uh, Mike, welcome to Mind Your Business. Uh, thank you, Lauren. Glad to be here. Uh, really great to have you. Um, Cliff has kind of set us up for this conversation. Uh, I don't know if you were listening, but what, what, you, I, I believe you've had uh, two businesses in which you took private equity investments. Um, why don't you start by, t- tell us what the first one was, if you would. Sure. Uh, in 2004, I sold a third-party administrator, and a third-party administrator uh, does what Blue Cross, United, Aetna, and Cigna do just at a small level. But in 2004, I sold a company that I started in 1992, 
uh, to five private equity companies and actually met Cliff during that process because that group bought his company first and my company second. So they actually loaded me on his platform. And um, that was an interesting process and quite a bit different than the second one, but they were both, uh, they were both enlightening just in, uh, just, in how they, just in the overall process. Mike, when you sold it, were you taking on investors and, and retaining equity, or did you just sell the business? The first time I sold the business half cash and, and half stock, so I took some money out. I was left with stock. I was left as the CEO of that, of that specific entity that they had. They had several. Um, but it didn't last very long. Um, Did you expect it to last long? Were you expecting to, to stay on you know, semi-permanently as CEO? The first time I was. Uh, the second time I wasn't. But the first time I was, and it was a shock to me that uh, I was a genius the day before they bought me, and even the day after they bought me, and two weeks later, I was sort of a village idiot, and like follow the process. And uh, what I found, Lauren, is that private equity firms love to buy entrepreneurial companies, but they hate to work with entrepreneurs. And um, and if you think about where they come from and what their their typical uh, makeup is, it's understandable. Uh, most uh, People who are running small private equity firms in particular have never run a business. They're very smart, financially oriented people. Uh, most of their knowledge comes from what they've learned uh, from books and uh, from uh, you know, sitting, sitting in classes. And they don't really understand the real world and that, that a lot of shooting from the hip happens, especially in startup businesses. And, um, and, they, and they hate that. And they hate people who have gotten accustomed to that. And um, again, it's very understandable. And uh, I learned that lesson twice, you know, with both of these PE groups. The the first time uh, that you went through it, did did the company c- continue to perform well uh, when you ran into disagreements with uh, the private equity investors, or was it just from day one cultural? Um, this just isn't going to work. Well, pretty much from day one. The the first business I sold, we actually grew by about 20% in the first quarter after the purchase. Now, obviously, some of that was in the pipeline at the time. But having this larger platform that they provided uh, allowed for that quick growth. Uh, after I was pushed out, uh, you can use the word fired if you want, uh, but after I was pushed out, um, the business went from uh, well over $10 million in, in net revenue down to about a million and a half. So what they didn't understand was that there was a lot of my personality uh, in the business. And when they started to go to more of a process-oriented management program, uh, the personality was taken out of it and a lot of clients left. And uh, Lauren, what most people don't understand is that you don't own clients, you rent them. And they only keep renting from you if you keep doing a great job and you're fairly consistent in what you've done in the past. And they expected just because they had bought this business that they owned the clients just like they owned my business. And they found out quickly that it wasn't the case. 
I'm Lauren Feldman. My guests are Cliff Oxford of the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs and Mike Dendy, who's uh, about to tell us about his experience with another company called uh, Amps, um, where he also took uh, private equity money. If you have a question, especially if it's about uh, raising money for a business or selling a business, we're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Uh, so, Mike, tell, tell us about the next business. So, uh, almost immediately after uh, I left HPS Paradigm, which is the group I sold in 2004, I reconnected with some old friends and, uh, and took a company that had gone bankrupt. It was sitting on zero revenues. It actually still had some expenses, unfortunately. But um, I took over Amps in uh, January of 2005 with no revenues. And... Uh, what was exciting to me about AMPS is that we had found a way, or I had found a way from my previous work as a TPA and also working with hospitals to fix a process error in how claims are paid and how hospital bills primarily are paid. So we took this company as a platform and built AMPS from zero to about $24 million in revenue over the next uh, 13 years. And then in, at the end of 2016, we, we decided it was time to consider an exit. I had two older partners, and I'm old, but these guys were quite old. You're not that old. Well, yeah, I'm not that old, but these guys are older, and they, they were ready to get out. You know, they had invested their money, and um, they were ready to have a transition. So we started considering who would be good transition partners. Uh, of course, I had been through the process uh, in 2004 of bringing in private equity, and my partners had been through a similar process um, multiple times. So we went, we went into it eyes wide open. And, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, uh, you have to think about your, your exit strategy as you, as you start to build and have a successful business. And you have to think about it in two ways. What do you want to have happen to that company over the next X period of time? And what do you want to do yourself? And, um, and sometimes those are two completely different things. And um, so I was much more prepared when we sold AMPS to deal with the, uh, the challenges of having new ownership than I was the first time because, you know, uh, I learned from the first experience. <laughs> so, so your eyes were open, but were you, were you still hoping to stick around longer than you did? I don't know. Um, I would have preferred for the decision to have been more mine, and it was totally those of the private equity group. Um, but to be completely honest, I was questioning myself, was I, was I tired of managing that business? I had two or three other opportunities uh, on the horizon, and I, um, I did, like I said, I got a little bit tired of that business and was looking for a new challenge. And I was trying to do both a little bit at one point in time and recognize that wasn't going to work. And everybody knew I was doing that, by the way. Uh, so it was, a, it was a little bit of both. Uh, I was a little bit shocked when I got the call that, you know, hey, we don't need your services anymore. But uh, I was also excited, well, I can move on to the next thing. But, again, that's my entrepreneurial spirit. I like new things. I like challenges. I like, you know, starting new businesses. So uh, everybody's not cut from that exact same cloth, and they just need to be prepared that when you hand over control, um, most people are going to take control, and they're going to do what they think is best and not necessarily what you think is best. We do appreciate your candor, um, Mike. Looking back 
Did you consider other options uh, with AMPS other than taking private equity? Was there another way to get the exits uh, that your partners wanted and, and not put the, the company you know, up for, for grabs? Well, you know, you can all, we could always have sold to a strategic investor, you know, which would have been a similar company in a similar line of business. But quite honestly, I think it still works out the same way. You and Cliff would have more knowledge about that than I would. But, you know, had, had we sold to somebody, say, in our industry, generically in our industry, that was four or five, ten times bigger than us, we would have still faced the same transition hurdles and possibly even worse because they would have wanted us to integrate it into what they already had. Um, selling to two, or actually to three, small private equity firms as we did with AMPS, they had no infrastructure. They had nothing for us to merge with. And all they saw was an opportunity to take a business that was growing quickly, was making a lot of money, and to ride the next uh, wave up. And uh, we, we knew we were turning over uh, control at that point in time. We knew they would have their own ideas about that. Um, and uh, we, we were okay with the consequences. Uh, we got what we wanted. We, we built a company from zero. We sold it for a lot of money. Uh, we were successful, and all of us are going on and doing our own things now. Cliff, what do you think? Well, is this a happy ending or not? You know, I, I think Mike uh, did well to take money off the table and cash out. That's a good, always a good strategy. But the company would be much better today than if he if he were still there. I think uh, I had a lot of hope in AMPS myself. Uh, I think um, what they did there was premeditated, and it, it was it's it's trickery. And let's face it, entrepreneurs. When you say trickery, you're saying that uh, oh, the yeah. uh, the private equity investors went into this knowing that they were going to make a, a change in management, but but not sharing that information. No, I think they knew probably two weeks afterwards. Probably when Mike would take up for a customer relationship and say, "Hey, we got to do it because we said we were going to do it." And those guys don't think like that. Those guys think, how much is this transaction going to cost me? I don't care if Cliff, Mike, or whoever said it. And what happens is, say what you want to about entrepreneurs. They're the most honest people in the world. And I'm, I'm generally speaking here. And they look at things very passionately. And they look, and we, we get mo emotionally involved in these companies. And it's like, I give you my word. That means a lot to me. I wouldn't uh, today. I can tell you personally. I, I've, I've dealt with this amps after Mike's left, and it's a shame they're checking our. They're, they're involved in healthcare, and what it is. And Mike won't say this, but I will. Mike's there, and Mike's going to be the honest broker for the customer, for the constituents, for the shareholder. He's going to be an honest person there. And private equity looks at it like, how much money did we make at end of day yesterday? And I think they brought that number two guy in. And I, I'll tell all entrepreneurs this. And and Mike was very experienced, so I didn't. I, w I wish I'd maybe talked with Mike more, but he's a he's a, a very savvy entrepreneur. When they bring a number two in and they start meeting without the entrepreneur, and they tell the entrepreneur, "You take a seat in the back and let us just run the company and let it just be," you're the visionary. You're you're about to get stripped down to your pants <laughs> because that means they're going to screw you big time, bad. And and I think um, and I have some. Mike was a member. I, I have. I'm not completely innocent here. I should have interceded. I saw this with the number two, and that's usually what happens. They bring in a hired gun, and that person does exactly what they want. The number two was somebody brought in by the investors. I think they were brought in right before the investors came. I think they were brought in by other board members. 
And I tell you what, I am very adamant, and I spoke to people just yesterday. That number two better have your heart 100%. And if you see any deviation from that, you've got to call it out immediately. And I do now. I'll go to number twos and go, are you sure your heart's in it for the entrepreneur who hired you? And so um, private equity looks at the world differently than we do. We tend, we tend to look at things over 10 years. They, they look at over things, well, how much money did I make in the last 10 minutes? So looking back, Cliff, uh, if, if Mike could do it over again, do you think there was another option for him? To, you know, he needed to get exits for his partners. He had to do something. No, and I, and I write about this, and I think I've written about it for you. The best decision, if you're going to sell to private equity, is sign the paperwork and leave that afternoon. And never go back. That's the best decision. Now, there's you have now, to be, sometimes they insist they they and, they want the, the the comfort of knowing that you are around in case something goes wrong. And that wrong. has to be sold during the process. By the way, you, that has to be sold right. Otherwise, they will they will kind of panic on that. But if or you they can, do it to try to keep the, you can the price dance, down. You guys can do it better than just me, this little entrepreneur. Just think about what you guys could do. Uh, they generally agree with it. But if you can't do that. If they say, no, we want you here for a year, then you negotiate your deal. If you're fired or if you walk out the door, you take all the money with you. There's no earnout. The earnout is automatically triggered and it is funded and it's in escrow. Then if they you got them. If Mike, if we could have done that eight, whatever he owns of the company and put that in escrow and say, if you fire me, I get that money immediately. They probably would have said, we got to play fair here and let's have a good company. Because Mike built a tremendous company that could have changed healthcare as we know it. And uh, from what I see today, I wouldn't let them audit uh, my light bill, much less my healthcare. Any thoughts on any of that, Mike? <laughs> well, uh, obviously, Cliff is, a, is, is my great advocate. And, uh, I love having him around. He's uh, he has a lot of wisdom, and he's seen this over a lot of companies. And he's and he's passionate because uh, he believes I wasn't treated completely fairly. Um, you know, I'm not quite as adamant as Cliff is about that. Um, I um, uh, and, and Oxford Center helped me tremendously during the process uh, as we were considering uh, purchase purchasers. Uh, Cliff shared his relationships. He took me to his friends in New York. I talked to a lot of people, and some of them knew they weren't going to get the deal. But because of Cliff's relationship, because they were a part of Oxford Center, you know, I kind of consider Oxford Center a brotherhood, uh, and I try to buy from Oxford Center members all the time. And we all support he does each it. other. He and does it. Cliff, uh, Cliff did a great job of just introducing me to other people uh, in his sphere of influence that uh, coached me on this. Um, so again, I went into it understanding I was selling control, I was making a trade. Warren Buffett says this beautifully. It's my understanding that every time he buys a company, he sits down with the owner entrepreneur and says, look, you're just swapping assets here. You're swapping the assets of your shoe company or of your candy company or whatever for cash or for some, some other type of stock. And he goes, and by the way, the government's going to take a piece out of whatever you get and you're going to be getting something like cash that you know a lot less of what to do with than you do with your own company. So, uh, and I've read that, and I've always believed that uh, Warren Buffett is correct. And yep. so I went into it with the idea that, hey, I was making a, a transition and that uh, I, I needed to earn my keep, you know, moving forward. And, um, 
and, and everybody has different opinions about how they want a company run. And um, I am passionate. I do think that you have to um, shoot from the hip some as an entrepreneur, especially when you're in a business that's uh, burgeoning, you're changing the world, you're trying to change the world, and, and it doesn't run straight up a track. It doesn't go from A to B to C uh, uh, on a regular basis. It's not linear. And, um, and it's hard for other people to see that. But they purchased the right when they bought my company to do what they wanted. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still a part of AMPS. As I'm still a stockholder. I want them to do well. I think they're still doing good things. Uh, I would not do everything the way they're doing it now. But, again, that's just my opinion, and my opinion doesn't really count anymore. Um, Mike, we're going to let you get back to work, and I've got to let Cliff go, too. we uh, we got to take a break. But before uh, but before we say goodbye, you, you've, you've landed on your feet. You're involved in a new venture. Uh, please tell us what that is. Yes, thanks for that. Um, President Trump passed a presidential order last October uh, for the development of association health plans. And what association health plans are intended to do is to allow small businesses to aggregate into one big business to give them more purchasing power in healthcare. So you can take a thousand ten-man companies and have the same purchasing power as, say, a Coca-Cola or a Home Depot, and which is just a brilliant idea. And the idea was was Dr. Tom Price, who was uh, our local uh, congressman here in Atlanta for years and was Trump's uh, first Secretary of Health and Human Services, and. Um, Right after that presidential order, Dr. Price uh, left Washington. He came back to Atlanta, and, and he and Fran Tarkenton and the, the gentleman from Job Creators Network created a company to help manage these association programs. And they invited me in as a consultant. They invited me in as an investor, and uh, I intend to be a part of that for a while, uh, hopefully a long while, and uh, to actually shift gears and stop working so much on behalf of large employers like I have for most of my history and start working for small employers. So I'm really excited about it. It's a great group of uh, people. Tom Price is brilliant. Fran Tarkenton's brilliant. And, um, and I'm, I'm excited about being able to help small businesses as well. So uh, what's the name of the company? Me talk about that. Association health plans of America. And, uh, are, are you a part owner or you're uh, a hired gun? Well, I'm a hired gun right now with, with, uh, with the intent of being uh, an owner down the road. Uh, we just got $3 million in uh, private funding. so uh, we're <laughs> You've well already taken private equity? Private, yeah, pri- well, private funding, private equity, yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's all seed money, and uh, so I'm excited about participating. I'm participating from the sideline right now, but uh, I'm active in it every day and, uh, and, and putting my fingerprints on it, as you will. Mike Dendy, thank you so much for joining us, and and especially for your candor. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We need to take a break. Uh, We're going to let Mike go, and we're going to let Cliff go, Cliff Oxford, uh, who is founder of the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. Uh, I'll be back in just a moment with Zach Zellner, founder of Pup Socks, who's going to tell us about his uh, holiday season disaster. Uh, you're going to enjoy this story, I think. Our number here is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Our producer, Michelle Stucker, is standing by. If you have a comment or a question, call us. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 132. 
For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 